Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the microphone with thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. Welcome everyone to the D&I Paradox webinar conducted in partnership with ISS. My name is Sonali Tari, VP of Strategic Content, and I'm today's host and moderator. With that, I'd like to introduce our session and our speaker today. Over the past two years, we've seen the D&I landscape grow and change and expand as an organizational strategy and priority. However, if you were to ask many in the D&I world, they would say that it feels like we've taken a few steps forward and many steps back. One key question here is, while there's been tremendous progress, legislatively speaking, in some areas, this might not have always translated into a positive action in the workplace. Today, we're living through a workquake driven by employees rethinking the meaning and value of work, and where many workers have greater access to new labor markets and wider work options, making the situation more challenging. Given this reality, it is vitally important to bring people along with you on journeys of change, but that is not always easy to do. However, while it can be difficult to know where to start to improve the employee experience, not starting is not an option and can lead to a talent exodus. So these are the issues and questions that we're going to be discussing with our speaker today. Margot Slattery is Global Head of Diversity, Inclusion and Belonging at ISS World Services, where she directs integrated and dynamic initiatives spanning cultures and ethnicity, abilities, gender, sexual orientation, or LGBTQ+, and generations and age. Margot has been furthering the DNI agenda for more than 20 years inside and outside of work. And she's a member of various boards and NGOs and a renowned thought leader speaking at events throughout the world. Margot's longstanding commitment to DNI has earned her tremendous accolades, most recently, she was appointed Global Ambassador for All Ireland Business Forum for her contributions to promoting and developing DNI standards in the workplace and society. Margot, many thanks for joining us today and a big thank you to ISS for their partnership. With that, let's get on with our discussion. Thank you, Sonali. It's great to be here. Of course. Thank you. So, Margot, you are the head of Group Diversity and Inclusion at ISS. Could you talk a little bit about the company and your background and what you do in your current position? Sure. So um, I suppose starting with the company, ISS is one of the leading workplace providers, outsourced companies in the world. It's a Danish headquartered organization, has been around for now 121 years, which is pretty amazing. Not too many companies have, have survived that long. And really, I suppose I'm, I'm speaking to an audience, you know, who understand workplace well. So we provide everything from you know, catering, cleaning, right through to just about every workplace service that, you know, may be required. And we employ now at this moment in time, just over 350,000 people globally. And maybe last point, I would say we've been in, in North America for a number of years as well. And the organization that we've probably been most recently associated with in North America is Guggenheimer. So you may know us under that bandwidth, her name as well. And I suppose coming back to myself, I've been I've been in operations in I've been a CEO um, and uh, had a very different career. And I got involved, I suppose, professionally in DNI probably about five, six years ago. Um, I used to work with Sodexo and I took my first step into a DNI career there as their chief diversity and inclusion officer globally. And then 
left there just over a year and a bit ago and, and joined ISS. But go, moving right back, um, you know, as I said, my career was in operations, so operating sites, operating businesses and account director, and then laterally as a CEO and responsible for the business in the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. And maybe the last sort of, I suppose, piece of information, because I want to I want to not bore people with this, but feel free to ask me any questions. I came to you know, my my moment around diversity and inclusion in many ways. One of them was that I happened to be a, a gay woman and over my lifetime, I've experienced being somebody who wasn't out in work. And then I've experienced the opposite when I had the opportunity to be out in the workplace. And I suppose that has so changed my life that it was really something I wanted to help other people through. Some people don't wish to do that, others do. But for me, it was a very, very positive experience. And the place that helped to make that happen and nurtured for it for me was actually my workplace. It wasn't my family environment. It wasn't anywhere else. And I have found workplace to be that amazing safe space. And when you find that, it's an amazing experience. I also was involved in the referendum for marriage equality in Ireland in 2015. And if anybody wants to Google that, you'll see it was quite an interesting thing because we had a referendum of the people so it was a public vote and that referendum was won by 62%. And I was the co-chair of one of the groups who took the government to, I suppose, European court to have a referendum. So certainly it was a, a very important experience in my own life. And, you know, when you've had an experience where you've always felt slightly discriminated and you never feel equal, and then when you go to the, the people in your country and when the people in your country vote yes for something that affects your life and when you walk out of that vote and you've seen the count and that count has affected the rest of your life then nothing is ever the same and where I come to in that is that I decided there and then in 2015 when I when I'd had that experience that I wanted to help others to do that as well and about a wide spectrum and maybe the last point I'd make is that I'd also had true family situation both my parents were quite ill for a long time and my mum had Parkinson's disease and my mum was wheelchair bound for a lot of her, the latter part of her life. And I became really aware of the impact of a disability on someone's life. And when your life changes, particularly if it's an acquired disability, um, that made me very passionate about people with disabilities and how we provide equal opportunities and how we, we give people that access to buildings and how that experience is because I've also with through my mom experienced what it's like when that isn't so positive so hopefully I haven't gone on too long Sonali but I wanted to kind of give some background all of those things have fueled my passion and many more no thank you so much for sharing um you know like you said it's not always uh easy to be open but I I'm I'm glad that you are able to be able to do that and thank you for sharing that background that's that's fascinating I, I had no idea that you'd been involved with the marriage equality vote or referendum in Ireland so thank you for that you know and one of the things that you sort of brought up with the different aspects of uh, DNI and how many different issues make up those those three words right or those uh issues so to level set and ensure that we have a common starting point for this discussion, could you provide a little bit of overview of diversity and inclusion and where the concept as we know it came from and how you've seen it evolve over time? Yeah, I guess that um, many people might say diversity and inclusion has been there for a long time and some less so. I, I always pin everything back to, to the UN 
to the United Nations. I think it's been about 70 years since the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So for me, I, I see human rights as really the, the, the seed or the planting of the seed of, of, of this discussion. After the Second World War, um, which affected so many countries in the world, and you know, particularly speaking to an audience from North America today and many other parts of the world, you, you know, we saw that the world was in turmoil and the, the Human Rights Declaration was a, was a chance to sort of say, okay, we draw a bit of a line in the sand and we say, there are things that we think we, you know, that only you, that humans can, can endure and cannot. And we need to be very mindful of that. And then over the like sort of 20, 30, 40 years, it began to be things, for instance, say it might be human resources, people and culture, different aspects of organizations. As organizations were growing, they began to kind of really look at this. If we think back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and I'm not going to get academic because I'm far from an academic, but if you remember that triangle, you know, that psychological safety was really important. So you might say it was way back even then. But particularly in the US, I think, you know, looking at civil rights and the changes that happened for people and perhaps sometimes the changes that didn't happen and the big changes that have happened in Europe after the Second World War and in many other parts of the world, there was a there was a big you know, movement of discussion. And then we went into the 60s and 70s and the next generation wanted something different. And I think that slowly that began to, to trickle into the workplace. Probably the biggest change that people saw was the whole discussion about you know, women in the workplace and, and gender. And that certainly became a universal discussion. And as we look into the 90s, that's taken different formats in different parts of the world, sometimes very slow, sometimes moving at speed. Sometimes, and, and you know, again, not to go on too long, but sometimes the reason that organizations end up having this work and, and working here can be that they've had a class lawsuit, they've had quite a lot of discrimination, you know, lawsuits brought against the organization and there's been huge costs. Sometimes organizations do it because it's absolutely just the right thing to do and they represent the, the total, total of their workforce. And sometimes you've got a very charismatic leader who absolutely understands and a board and knows that this is why we should be doing this. And I'm coming back, I'm trying to remember your question in, in full, but that's kind of a little bit of the history. And I think over the last 10 years that has really kind of begun to accelerate and you know over the over the last four or five years with the the murder of George Floyd um I suppose COVID and so many big large world events happening and you know climate change is another one of them organizations see and understand the E S and G so understanding they understand the environmental but they also understand social change and governance around this and diversity and inclusion has become an area that is, I suppose, become heightened up. Equity has become an important discussion and it's part and parcel nowadays for a lot of organizations. And lastly, I guess that when we talk about, and I'll come back to it later, but talent attraction, multi-generational workforce, and we look at all the reasons people want to attract people to an organization, then being able to understand the diversity of your people. So looking at all the differences of your people, all the unique characteristics of your people, all the things that make them different, then understanding how do you bring equity? And that's, you know, different organizations talk about different things, but how do you make sure that we, we understand our gaps and raise people up? 
how do we then build inequality? So how do we make sure that people feel that they're equal and, and, and make that part of how we do things in an organization? Because none of us, no matter who we are and where we come from, we don't want to be treated differently. And then making sure that people feel included in the conversation. I know, and many of you today on this call will know what it's like when you're not included. I always think back to when I was when I was very young and I played games. And by the way, I wasn't very good at, at athletics. But, you know, when my name wasn't called for basketball or whatever it was, you know, it was the first probably feeling I had about being different. And, and for others, that's deeper and more felt in many other ways. And then belonging, which I'll talk about more, is probably the blue skies around that when we really take it to the next level. And there's a great quote. I think it's uh, Werner Mayer who speaks about, you know, diversity is being invited to the dance Inclusion is dancing and belonging is dancing like you don't care at all. And uh, it's probably the ultimate game for many organizations, because if you get this right, it's definitely a way to help your employer retention, your attraction and to reduce costs and, and increase growth. Certainly my opinion. That was quite the vivid description of uh, what DE&I stand for. I think we're going to have to steal that one. Uh, but thank you so much for giving us a little bit more background on, you know, the issues that we're talking about today. And like you said, you know, different parts of the world are on different spectrums, different organizations are on different spectrums of where they are in this journey. But, uh, but it's an important discussion to be having. One of the things that we talked about a little bit um, was that, belonging is something that is bubbling up more and more. And if I understand correctly, ISS has been sort of leaning into that a little bit more as well. And from your perspective, what exactly is belonging? And where is ISS on this journey to becoming a company of diversity, inclusion, and belonging? Sure. I mean, I have a probably very simple explanation of belonging. If you look it up in the dictionary, it's to be included and, and, and to feel you're part of a group. I always think about it, it's about feeling that you've been seen, feeling you've been heard, you feel connected and you feel safe. And at the very heart of belonging is psychological safety. So when we make people feel that even if they speak up, if they say something that isn't perhaps everybody's cup of tea if we think differently about people we can still be listened to and be heard and and our opinion matters so it's making making sure we build that psychological safety but also making sure that you know we don't just listen to one voice we listen to many voices and that we hear people in the room and and that takes work so it's not it's not easy but it is definitely something to be desired because when you when you get it really right, and you know, there's an amazing writer, Brené Brown, and I'm sure many of you may may have heard of her. Well, Brené Brown talks about when you get it right, you really you you move the dial, you move into something different, and you move into the next phase. And from a workplace perspective, and you know, workplace psychologists will tell you this that when you look at your employees becoming net promoters, when you look at retention stats, when you get belonging really, really at a heightened state then they all increase. So, you know, again, it's very advantageous. Thinking back to the rest of the question, you know, ISS, why why do we go there? You know, I started, but long before this, this is, as I said, a 120-year-old organization and in its very DNA has been employing people, giving them 
mostly their very first start in life, giving them that first job or a job that changes their lives in many ways. I mean, we, we're one of the biggest employers in the world of people who are refugees and migrants, etc. Quite often people who are just starting out, people who don't necessarily have all the the, the 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 language skills, et cetera. So it's for ISS, it just felt absolutely right because it's something they were doing for a long time. And actually in Denmark, which is probably seen as one of the more equal countries in the world where equality has been for a long time, there's a there's a great Danish saying, no one's better than me and I'm better than no one else. It feels like an Irish saying, but it is actually a Danish Danish saying, and that has been baked into that into that DNA. And therefore, as an employer, they've been really, really good about actually, um, you know, making sure there's opportunities for people. So it felt really right when we were looking at our strategy to kind of say, what is that DNA? What have we been known for? How have we you know, have we done well in this and what does it look like for the future? Hopefully that gives some background and I may have missed some of the points because you know what, I got excited about the answer and and and, and didn't listen to all of the questions. So feel free to challenge me if there's anything else. No, I think you got all of it. Uh, I think uh, one thing that might be interesting to kind of hear is also, you know, we heard about the why of why ISS is on this journey, but do you have any examples of how, you know, how this vision is being implemented or carried out? Yeah, no, many, many examples. And listen, you know, it's not a it's not a perfect science. This is a journey and that word can be overused, but this is going to take us time. And we started with a great history. Now we're trying to put some kind of technical and and and, and put some process around it. And, and, you know, we will see over the next number of years how it how it becomes. But, you know, great examples. One of the areas we looked at was how do we, for instance, um, you know, in one of the dimensions that we're looking at, how do we actually build more accessible buildings? So our team who are working around what we call abilities, the very positive outcome of disability and people with disabilities have done an amazing conversation guide, which we're just about to publish and, 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 and share with our, our teams all over the world. And we'll do it in every language to help people to understand disabilities, but also to help them to understand how they can make our workplaces more accessible. We've partnered, and this is a very um, real for us, we've partnered with an organization called Mobility Mojo, and we are now taking out accessibility audits for our clients in our sites to help them understand, are their clients really accessible? So if I give you a very real example, you know, go to a great site, beautiful new building, but the architects and the designers never really thought about, you know, was the reception desk too high? So somebody perhaps who's in a wheelchair or maybe not, you know, of usual height is challenged because they can't actually even be seen over the desk. Have we thought about the lighting from a point of view of people with autism or people coming from uh, different backgrounds? So again, it's that sense of thinking about diversity and inclusion with outcomes rather than just, you know, it's not just a conversation. It's got tangible outcomes. I think that's great. I mean, I think partly what you're talking about is not just ticking off boxes, but seeing what the actual impact is. So I think that's uh, that's great. And, you know, we alluded to this a little bit already, but why is having a diverse and inclusive workforce in an in an environment of belonging important? And what impact does diversity, inclusion, and belonging have on an organization? Yeah, I think um, two, two, two really important questions. So just going to the first one, why is it important? I mean, when you think about the fact that an organization like ours and, and, and so many of our organizations who are probably on this call, you know, we employ human beings. 
we have robots. I'm sure everybody's moving to a little bit of all that. But in the main, we all employ human beings. And human beings, if we go back to my discussion around the, you know, what is diversity? We are diverse. We are different. And we all come and we bring what is happening in our lives into work. So if you're feeling very perturbed, you're feeling, you know, angry about something, maybe something is happening out there in the world that comes with you don't, you know, very few people can really park what's happening for them. So when we, and I'm not saying, you know, we can open up the doors on every discussion, but if people feel that they can be a little bit more open, that they can express how they're feeling, that they don't have to hide and cover themselves, then we absolutely believe that they are more productive. And that productivity just increases what we can give to our business, to our clients and 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 and, and the outcomes that we deliver. So, you know, that's the background of, you know, why it's important. And it's also around very simple things like we want to reduce our turnover. We want to be a great company that people are attracted to. And we want to, um, you know, grow for the future. And one of the things we're actually, you know, now doing is seeing ourselves as a company of belonging, seeing seeing that as a, you know, we mentioned it maybe, or I mentioned it before, but actually really having that big aspiration for us all. So how does it think about everything we do, the, the, the business we bid for, who we work with, how we work and how our people feel? And then the impact, I guess, you, you know, coming back to, and I, I may have sort of mentioned it in the previous answer, but the impacts are most definitely around retention, growth, the way that our employees promote us and they refer us, um, you know, does somebody actually want to work in this organization? We believe that we create people, you know, through our experiences, people who actually stay with us a long time. I was on a call this morning and, you know, we were looking about the fact that 80% of their people, of our people, spend a long time in the employment. Yes, we have turnover, but we have a lot of people who spend a lot of time with us as well. So it's taking the essence of that and really thinking about how it impacts for everybody else. Hopefully I've answered that as okay. No, that was great. Thank you so much, Margot. You know, again, this is something we sort of started the conversation off with, but diversity and inclusion is a hot topic right now, yeah. but it's not a new topic like you said, why has the movement towards diversity, inclusivity, and welcoming workplaces taken on a new urgency? And why has it become so important to the success in the business environment today? I think there's probably different parts to that. I mean, I think, you know, if I think over the last 10, 20 years, and I'm I'm an older person now, but when I when I was younger and, and my, my age group and my generation, you know, we weren't going to accept the world that our parents had. You know, I remember my mom, uh, my mom had to give up work because when she got married in Ireland, you had, you gave up work and you couldn't be a woman and be in work. I mean, when I grew up, I thought this was the most terrible thing. Not because a woman should be at home. That's a, that's a lovely thing to be able to rear a family if that's your choice, but that she was forced to make that choice. My generation wanted to make sure that we had equal opportunities and that, you know, everybody else had as well. And as a generation coming in, I'm, I'm probably generation X now, you know, as a generation coming into the workforce 20, 30 years ago, we were starting to demand very different things from the generation before who had been the baby boomers and who had been, it was about get a job, keep a job, you know, be quiet, don't, don't agitate. So I think, um, you know, that's one of the reasons that it has become a topic. I think certainly social justice has been a big impetus 
So as we became more vocal and felt more psychologically safe to have these discussions in work, then we saw social injustice and we and we questioned it. Um, and then, you know, probably the big, big thing prior to perhaps COVID and, and going back the last couple of years was economic and globalization, economic success, and people could work all over the world. In many cases, some didn't. People wanted more from life. They wanted more from what a job experience was. They wanted purpose. They wanted to earn more and 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 they could and they could leave easier. So the whole thing, you know. Again, being Irish, I remember growing up with the Ford Motor Company and you got a job there and you were there for the whole of your life. You know, that's not the world that, that my generation came from. And then I think, you know, when I think of the last seven, eight and, and, and maybe particularly through COVID years, we think about the whole remote working discussion. I remember working on trying to generate a discussion around remote working prior to COVID. And then we had this social experiment and in, you know, in, in 20 days, a month, you know, we were doing something that we thought we couldn't do before, not en masse. I'm not saying it's been perfect. There's loads of challenges. Um, and I think that along with huge social justice issues has really been a, an awakening. But as you know yourself, that's also had challenges because there's, for some of the world, feel that that's gone too far, some not far enough. And, and we have a lot of polarization around that. But as long as we keep anchored around social justice and human rights sorry my my uh, reminder came up so i'm just getting rid of that but uh, as as long as we stay rooted in the right things then i think you know we can we can find our way and our track pretty well and we need to to be very mindful now that we have five generations in the workforce so you know i have 18 and 19 year old nieces and nephews i don't have children of my own but you know they're very different to me and the things they expect from a job and you know, what, how they'll stay in a job and how they interwork. And they don't expect to see a job for life. And they certainly don't even expect to be two or three years, you know, in anything. And they want to live and work all over the world. Their expectations are radically different. And then we have, as in my organization or any others, we have aging workforces, we have the sandwich generation, and we have economic challenges. So all of these are, I suppose, part and parcel of why this is, uh, a big topic. I think it's fascinating something you brought up, the fact that we all come from different generations. There are so many, uh, you know, perspectives that we bring to the workplace, to the societies we live in, and the fact that every generation feels like they have a different kind of voice um, and a different kind of experience. So uh, I think that's a, that's a great takeaway right there. So our next question is, given the continuously expanding scope of diversity, inclusion, and belonging, I can imagine that many companies don't even know where to start. You know, how do you connect DIB, uh, abbreviating that a little bit, to their business strategy, let alone develop a program, practices, recruitment, you know, uh, et cetera. So do you have any advice on how to put intentions into words and then words into actions? Yeah, um, probably lots of advice because, you know, like, like probably lots of others, I've made some mistakes and I've learned a lot. I think the first piece of advice I would have is keep it simple. Don't try to make it too complicated. Start with, you know, one or two things you want to do and 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 be content this will take time. I think second one would be be patient. It's it's very like the first one in many ways, but be patient because you cannot, you know, you cannot do this quickly. Um, I think number three would be it's really important 
And maybe the analogy I would give is if you're looking, you know, to increase the skills in your organization or maybe you're going to manufacture or build a new product or whatever, you look to understand the skills need. So it's really important when you're doing this work to understand what are the needs in your particular organization. So what works for ISS doesn't necessarily work for another organization. So do we understand what our needs are? The fourth point I would uh, think about is who are our people? What is their mix? What, what is the mix of the people? What is the locations we're in? You know, there's no point talking about a certain thing if that if you're never actually going to work in that part of the world. I'm not saying you don't make awareness, but you 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 understand the capacity of your own organization first and then learn from others. You know, the wonderful thing about diversity and inclusion, belonging, equity, any of these things that people work in is it's not competitive. Other companies will share. I share all the time with people and people share with me and start at one or two, perhaps three areas that you want to drive change. If, for instance, the biggest area is gender, that just do, do work around gender for the first two or three years. Get a feeling of has it gone well? How are we doing? How are we making progress? And last point would be put measurements in, you know, put something that you're going to make sure that you're actually making progress. Because if it's just talking about it, then I think it doesn't it doesn't latch on. I'd weave that in by having a CEO, senior executive and a board who absolutely believe in this. This makes my job that much easier. We have an amazing CEO and he gets it. So that makes life a lot easier. You know, you bring an important point about leadership and having their support. What you know, how do you bring them along that journey if they're not on the same path as you think they should be or you know, you want them to be? Well, it's a great, it's a great sort of a question. And you put that very well in that. I, first of all, I'm a believer that we, we're not all on the same path. And I have lots of friends and family and people who maybe have different views to me. But it's actually, I think, all being united that we are doing something for the business, that we've decided on a strategy and we've decided on a way as a group. And then in my case, I would really help them to understand the why and try to put a personal connection with it. So, you know, to 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 really understand why does it matter? So if I give you an example, you know, um, trying to bring, say, some of our sponsors and leaders understanding why global pride is important, you know, I don't necessarily say you have to believe and you have to subscribe to to everything here, but you know, think about somebody's son or daughter and how it feels for them and, and somebody in the workplace. I try to kind of maybe give them some analogies. Perhaps it's about people with disabilities. That's a very lived experience for most people. Everybody, there isn't one person I know who can't tell me of somebody they know who has a disability. So when you kind of deep dive with people, I think human beings are very empathetic and I really believe very few human beings are so hard that they can't find their way to to empathize with others, and particularly people who work in organizations who want to do good for the world. So that's kind of my thought process, Sonali. Thank you for that, Margot. I did think it was also important, you know, the fact that you brought up that, I mean, you know, we have uh, members across the world. There's probably, you know, many, many regions represented here on the webinar. So pointing out that each location and each region probably has its own strategy that you need to look at um, and its own issues that you need you might need to focus on I think that's an important point as well no I I think you're absolutely right not to sort of steal time but you know what what resonates in Asia Pacific doesn't necessarily resonate resonate in North America the same in Europe maybe in the Middle East they're very very different and 
you know, one stamp does not sort of cover everything. And uh, we become very aware of that and uh, try to allow for that difference because not everything is the same. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that we've talked about is that the conversation around this topic is ongoing, as are the new ideas that are coming to the front, the new challenges, well, not new, but, you know, challenges that are being given more voice to um, and highlighted more. But there's also more opportunities uncovered to to address these challenges. So as an example, you know, we focused a lot of attention in the past um, on race, uh, which is, you know, which is an ongoing concern, of course. But there's also now elevated concerns about gender, about sexual orientation, disability, and all of these have added to the conversation around D, uh, DIB. So how, how would you say, you know, as an example, how has ISS managed this transition and how could other organizations develop a flexible approach that embraces the various changes that might come forth? Yeah, our, our approach was that when, when I started and we, as I said, so it wasn't that we had never done anything before. We had been doing things for a long time but maybe not in the, in the same process. I looked to see what we had been doing and what we had been doing was different things in different parts of the world. So gender had been a discussion, sexual orientation somewhere else. And yes, there was some joining up, but perhaps not everywhere. And so again, I went out to the business and I spoke to people in the business. I spoke to our leaders. I spoke to people on the ground and understood what was important for them. And it very clearly emerged that we had kind of five key areas, which was around the age and generations of our workforce. I brought that one up before. We looked at pride um, and we look at pride across all orientations, including um, our heterosexual uh, community. So we, we, we want to have a wider discussion. We also looked around disability. We looked around gender and then very much sort of race and cultures. And, you know, those were the five areas, topics that we picked. We were very clear that that's what we're doing. But we said in some areas and in some countries, there will be different things. So, for instance, in North America, you know, we do a lot of work with veterans and the same in the UK. In, in Australia and Asia Pacific, we do a lot with our indigenous people somewhere else in South America. So there are variations, but those five are our key areas that we build top, we build policy around. And then we said, okay, if those are those five, then let's not get distracted with other things right now. And we set a very clear roadmap of where we were going. And we said, for the first year, we'll do this much. The second year, we'll go this third year. So we give ourselves a stepping and milestones to get there. And I guess for other organizations, it's it's trying to be very careful. You don't try to do all things for all people to begin with and to make for tangible change for your people. So people need to see that that's something that, you know, has actually improved quality of life, not taken from it. So it, and it's not, an, you know, when you give food to one, you don't necessarily take it from another. It's about sharing. Hopefully that makes sense. And sorry for the coughing. <coughs> No, that makes perfect sense. What, you know, yeah, I was just going to say another sip of water might might uh, might be helpful. But no, you've been, you know, you've been sharing your insights for a while. So no wonder your throat's a little dry. But that's, uh, I think that's a great approach to how you stay on your target and, you know, uh, work on what your emphasis is for, for, you know, whatever, one year, two years, five years. Uh, I think that's a great approach. My next question sort of ties back to what you just talked about, that there are so many different issues that are important. There are so many challenges and opportunities related to those challenges. But, 
you know, what what makes you most excited about diversity and inclusion and belonging? What are some of the movements and trends that you're seeing that, you know, sort of that get you going in the morning? Yeah, well, there's there's many. I think the evolution of remote work is, is incredibly exciting um, because it brings the opportunity for so much more people into the workforce. This is probably the number one for me because, and I'm not suggesting that everybody works from home. I'm talking about that ability to 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 be able to evolve with how we work and just the future of workplace around that particularly from a point of view of you know people with disabilities there's 1.3 billion people in the world who it's pretty much sort of recognized do not have the same opportunities well you know if we don't put that barrier up of getting into a building and getting to a location then we can open up more opportunities but also when people come to an office because I think people absolutely do I mean I know last week I was in Denmark for the weekend you know I had a great week I want to be with my colleagues etc so when we do bring people into the workplace What's that experience like? And I think that's a great opportunity. And how do we change what that feeling is and what we actually do? So I think that part's really exciting. Then, look, you know, there's been many, many challenges around mental health. And I suppose I'm excited about mental wellness. And how do we how do we really work to make people feel better? Because there's been so much, uh, you know, I suppose, challenges to people, both personally and in families. And we hear such tragic stories. How do we make the workplace, wherever it is, a better place, a healthier place, uh, you know, a better experience? I mean, I personally love work and I... I'm slightly probably a bit addicted because, you know, it doesn't have for me a Monday to Friday and I'm reading stuff and doing things. But how do we make it exciting for people and that they don't see it? And and that should be at all levels of a job. So, you know, if you're on the line or you do a very, um, you know, a, a job that is very much on, on the front line, then, you know, whether you're the CEO, there has got to be some rewards for people. And really, I think maybe the third area is, around the fact that we have a multi-generational workforce into the future. I mean, it's going to be so exciting to see what this generation, you know, the last, the generation are coming out of schools and and colleges now, what they bring in the conversations they're having. And also the fact that, you know, we're, we're moving away from this thing that people had to retire at a certain age. I think, you know, we, 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 we closed a line on people's ability to do so much more. I know amazing people who you know, work and who have huge amount to offer. I, I come originally from a rural background in farming. And, you know, my parents, when they were alive, worked, and, and my aunts and uncle all worked much more longer into life and they were healthier and better people for it. So I think this whole thing about ending work life at a certain stage is is something we need to rethink. Um, but we need to make the journey better and make it, you know, well for everybody. Um, yeah, I think re- retirement uh, age is definitely something that's becoming more and more of a myth uh, as well. So I do agree with that. And I think it's interesting that you brought up, uh, you know, hybrid work and remote working. I, I do recall, you know, when when companies started to bring their employees back, there was some concern about, you know, whether as many women that went into remote work would come back into the into the hybrid workplace or, you know, if they were asked to come back full time or as many people of color might come back uh, because they might they felt more more themselves at home. So how do you make those workplaces more inviting? How do you make it so that they can they can belong? And then, of course, your point also about making accessibility a higher priority and how do you make it easier for those who might have disabilities to 
be comfortable in their workplaces. So I think all those are going to be ongoing discussions. I don't see an end to that, uh, which is as it should be, I suppose. Yeah, agree totally. And I think it'll revolutionize workplace if we really open the open the floodgates a little bit and, and be open to the opportunity. Well, thank you, Margot. That was my last question, uh, but I'm sure our audience has some questions. So why don't we see if you have anything in chat or if, uh, you know, if you want to send in questions, please do. You also have the ability to unmute yourself and ask the question via audio. If you don't, uh, you can also raise your hand and we can um, unmute you from our end. So I do see we have a couple of uh, comments, um, love the dance metaphor, and then also a couple of other comments that uh, that have come in. One of the questions that has come in, including uh, a compliment, is uh, Marco, great and inspiring comments. Do you have any comments on the role of ERGs and BRGs to highlight, encourage, and support DNI issues and opportunities? Yeah. Um... I, I love ERGs, um, BRGs, whatever whatever name we want to use. And probably again, coming back from, you know, when I started in the beginning explaining how I had my own journey about being able to come out at work, it was through my an ERG that I joined and, and diversity work in, in the company that I felt suddenly like, oh, it's, it's okay and I can be me. And we have five global ERGs based on our five dimensions in ISS. And they are tremendous because every and, and I have to be honest about this because, you know, my job is 100 percent better and I could not do my job without these people. And every one of them does this as volunteers. They are fantastic. You know, we may somewhere around the long term look about how we reward. But right now they do it as volunteers. So we say a big thank you and we recognize it. But, you know. It's amazing. Maybe my my consideration would be, you know, it's it, it's a fantastic resource and people put a lot into it. And we need to make sure that the organization uses this resource well. So we should litmus test things. We should we should have discussions with our ERGs. These are a bunch of people who have become very focused on a particular topic and they become a great source of information. And the reverse of that, or maybe just the other side of that, is it's important to make sure that we don't just make it a talking shop so that they actually deliver some outcomes as well. So to me, there's a push and pull. So as a diversity and inclusion specialist, you know, or the person who's doing this work, I, I work with them and I applaud and recognize them. But then I also push them to, to say, we could do this or are we going to deliver that or how might we do this? So kind of getting a bit more from it. Um, and I think that's important as well. So I think they're they're vital. And I don't think we could do this without them being there. Hopefully that answers the question for the person who asked. I see a thumbs up from them. So I'm, I'm guessing it does. Uh, well, thank you for the question. And also, of course, thank you for addressing it, Marco. A couple of other questions that have come in. Hi, I'm curious whether you know of any comprehensive lists or resources of IND opportunities related to the services that we provide in offices and or the design of the physical workspace? Yeah, well, there's a huge amount of resources out there, particularly around accessible design and um, about layout, et cetera. I, I can probably, um, with the help of Ben, who's supporting from our marketing team, we can we can, we can can draw some of those together and give them to you to share um, because there's a lot of things that are publicly accessible. So the company, for instance, I spoke about in the beginning that we've signed up with and we've now done a global deal with is Mobility Mojo. And there's lots like those. 
who are able to really help organizations and companies to find their way. And I think, you know, when you when you think about going back to the ERGs, when you think about a, a new building or whatever, it's a great opportunity to get the ERGs involved in the very early stage discussions. So if I give you a real live example, I have a, a lady in Ireland, or a lady I'm friendly with, and she's called Sinead Burke, and she's pretty famous because she's been on, on Vogue, etc. Um, and she's been to all these amazing opportunities in her life. And she she defines and calls herself a small person. And I remember many, many years ago being with Sinead and we were both at a conference and in a tech company, I won't name the company, headquarters in Dublin. And she explained to me afterwards that when she goes to the bathroom, first of all, she can't open the door because the handles are too high. But when she goes into the bathroom, first of all, she needed help and assistance to, to be able to use the bathroom. But secondly, even the fact of getting out, she quite often has to ring people to help her to get out the door because she can't use, you know, it's the sense of had somebody walked through that building with somebody like her, they might have thought about how they actually built that space. And we see some of those buildings there now, but they're not the norm. And again, if we view something with different eyes, you know, it took me until my mum was in a wheelchair to understand about you know, I really start to say, why do people, you know, I became really angry about people parking in disabled bays, people, you know, parking on paths, people blocking pathways when there are no pathways. Then you get agitated and you become like, oh, my God, we have to have that. So you need to walk in the shoes of that person. And when you do, you see the building differently. Thank you for that, Margot. Another couple of questions that have come in. Phenomenal program. Margot, thank you for sharing your perspective regarding a very important subject. It definitely resonates. The question is, um, how are you measuring performance at ISS? Well, we're certainly measuring performance. I have a great boss, um, our CEO and 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 our head of people, and uh, they make sure that we're, you know, we're managing. One thing um, ISS of many things they do is, is they measure and they really are data driven. We're measuring not only in the, in the quantitative, but we're also measuring in the qualitative. So from our people perspective, we're looking at our employee surveys, we're looking at our listening exercises, and we're asking people as we now move forward, you know, does diversity and inclusion make a difference to you? Is it one of the reasons you might stay with the organization? Was it a talent attraction? So we're we're measuring that as a question in our listening skills. And then from a quantitative, I'm always struggle with the saying of that, with a quantitative level, we're looking at you know, are we improving accessibility? Are our own buildings, you know, you have to eat your own fruit sort of first. Are our own buildings measuring up? Have we have we actually implemented the things we say we want to do out there in the world? Are we doing them in our own organization? What's our inclusivity? How are we training people around that? So these are all things we measure. And then looking to each of our ERG. So we have 30 countries. Every country has three actions for DNI. Every country manager leader is bonused around that or not. And then when we look at um, everybody in the business, they've all got DNI built into their performance. Um, so, you know, it's not part of just Margot's job, it's everybody's job. Thanks for that, Margot. Some great examples of, uh, you know, what you're actually doing and how that can be implemented. I know we have one more or a couple more questions that are that have come through chat. Thank you for your insights and views. In the UK, we've seen the British standard for DNI in the workplace coming into focus. This is in, intertwined with individual rights, fairness, and dignity, which means something different to everyone. My question is, should we need legislation to make organizations take action, or should we expect morals and ethos to be at the heart of organizational culture? How can management embed that in the cornerstones of company culture? Great question, I think. 
Yeah, beautifully put. I think to I think it was Steve, but you know, to come back on it, I I think um, you know it's it's even things like quotas, and I'm not referring particularly to those. I don't like. You know, I think it was Madeleine Albright. She said, "I don't like them, but I like what they achieve." I don't think we should personally have legislation for everything because it becomes too onerous and too long, and you know, you impl- you end up employing people to manage the things we're measuring, and that becomes onerous. I would love to think we do it because it's the right thing to do, and that the morals, the ethos, and the ethics, and all those, um, and the sense of purpose. But there's probably a, a swings and roundabouts. You know, we we probably need there's a there's an up and down on that. I think there has to be instead targets. Um, you know, countries should really be pushed to to achieve and to want to do it. So, I, and again, I'm not saying that this is everything, but the Danish model now, as I understand, they're they're moving towards a kind of a target driven. So you will be expected to move in this direction, but you won't be penalised as a company. I think the most important thing is to is to help companies to also make this this journey. And maybe the last thing I would say is. You know, because somebody put in uh, earlier about, you know, struggling because they're in a part of the US and it's very difficult right now. I would say, you know, as someone who's come from a country that was the most conservative in many ways backward um, and certainly not moving forward. And I'm talking about me, um, you know, you can see great change in your lifetime and you can see. So to believe that we can make change and workplace, absolutely, you know, when governments can't do it and when, you know, civil society can't, it's actually workplace can often be a driver of of some of the biggest changes and social changes that we see. But I think company culture is absolutely important. So to that question, I think the culture is, you know, it eats everything else for breakfast. Um, I love that you brought up the power of belief. I think that's fantastic. I know we're almost out of time, but uh, shall we squeeze in one more question? Go for it. Okay. So are there emerging skills you are seeing that are becoming more important as we navigate an increasingly unstable world, such as climate change, emerging workplace changes, increasingly diverse workforces? How are you addressing these? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, not the, I'm not the talent department in the organization, so I'm, I'm maybe not the expert, but I certainly think that emotional, um, you know, emotional sort of um, ability to be able to be emotionally intelligent and to understand people and situations is just so incredibly important because nothing as we know right now, you know, is staying the same and everything we thought we were going to achieve in the world or live in a country or, you know, things we thought we could do, it's been changed by the moment. I mean, the whole energy crisis is, you know, the middle class or for the first time in a long time, uh, experiencing real poverty, etc. So I think you need to be very emotionally intelligent. It's probably one of the biggest attributes right now to be able to to see things. I think there's nothing wrong with you know growth and with um, you know the ability to kind of see that companies have to make a profit. But all of these things should weave in together. So we see them as kind of uh, intricately balanced rather than it, and those are them or ba- are are challenging each other. And adaptability. I've learned in my own life that your ability to be resilient and to bounce back is incredibly important and, you know, it takes you a long way when times are difficult. Hopefully that's some help. Thank you for that, Margot. And thank you so much for being here today. We appreciate it very much. Um, you know, as you can see from the comments, I think this is a topic and issue that everyone's very interested in. Uh, so we appreciate you sharing your thoughts, your experiences, your insights. And a big thank you to ISS for uh, helping us, uh, you know, organize this and for their partnership. But uh, 
hopefully everyone will have a great uh, day, evening, wherever you are. A pleasure. Thank you, Sonali. And uh, as I say, in, in Irish lawn, and uh, you're very welcome. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.